Well, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling His Breath, My Breath. As the Holy Spirit began to craft that word in my heart this past week, I've got to be honest with you, there were times I got very emotional. Tearful, in fact. You see, 24 years ago this coming Wednesday, those words became my reality as Jesus breathed into my heart and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. His breath became my breath. There are not two separate breaths. The breath that is coming out of me is Jesus' breath. I am breathing His breath because the breath is the Spirit of God. I think about how committed God is to us he doesn't breathe in us and then leave us. God is not that way. He doesn't breathe into us and then disregard us, not pay attention to us. Yet many believers treat his breath like an oscillating fan. They feel like he's breathing on them one moment and then he's not the next. Never realizing that the twin breaths of grace and truth are continuously blowing in our spirits. There is no oscillation with God. To oscillate means to waver. It means to cut and chop. It means to fluctuate. God is consistent. God is constant. In fact, the word even says Jesus Christ the same today, yesterday, and forever. The Bible says that he is the God that does not change. And that's a good thing. What I want you to see through the message today is this. Jesus' breath brings eternal life. He breathes in us the Spirit. It is a finished work with Christ. We can add nothing to His salvation. We receive His salvation by grace, through faith. It's a finished work. My firstborn son drew his first breath on October 28th of 1991 while the world was watching Monday Night Football, I was becoming a daddy. It still makes me cry. Not only did my son take a breath for himself, but he took my breath too. He did. And I would have the joy of repeating that three years later as my twin sons Tanner and Taylor would be born. It was a delight to be there to watch my children born. On October 17th of 1995, four years later, Tanner's twin brother, Taylor, died. And I know you guys have heard me talk about this before. It was an unexpected things. And so I learned very early in fatherhood how to say, hello to a son in the month of October, and I learned how to say goodbye to a son in the month of October. On the fifth anniversary of Taylor's passing, I proposed to Valerie. Would you like to guess what night of the week it was on? It was a Monday. And while the world was watching Monday night football players fall on their knees, I fell on my knees. And with a ring and an invitation, I drew the breath right out of Valerie. And with a yes and an amen, she drew the breath right out of me. <laughs> Nineteen years later, she still draws the breath out of me. She still takes my breath away. Taylor died on October 17th of 1995, and I was engaged to be married on October 17th of the year 2000. But when October 17th rolls around... That day does not remind me of death. That day reminds me of life. You see, my daddy turned one of the most hurtful days of my life into one of the most glorious days of my life. We sang about it today, oh glorious day. He turned one of the most hurtful days of my entire life into one of the most glorious days of my life. So October 17th reminds me more of a glorious beginning than a hurtful ending. Isn't that reflective of Jesus also? 
The cross was the most hurtful day of his life, yet the resurrection was the most glorious day of his life. But there would be no resurrection without a cross. From hurtful to glorious, his breath, my breath. There are not two separate breaths. From time to time, I will ask Valerie this question. I'll say, honey, do you love me? And after 18 plus years of marriage, I'm not really wanting to know if she loves me or not. I'm really trying to draw the second question out of her because I want to hear her answer to that. So her answer is always, yes, I love you. What am I doing? I'm just being playful. I'm just engaging her. But I'm moving toward that second question. And that second question is, why do you love me so much? And I love Valerie's answer. Invariably, it's the same answer. Here's what she says. Because you're mine. That's a good answer, isn't it? That's a real good answer. I love that. She doesn't say because you're successful at work and because you let me get away with almost everything. She just says, I love you because you're mine. I fell in love with Valerie in an instant when I heard the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. She is yours to love. I fell in love with a five pound, 12 and a half ounce, 17 and three quarter inch long little boy because in an instant, I knew that he was mine to love. Her breath, my breath, baby breath, daddy's breath, his breath, my breath. And when you look at it from that standpoint, he becomes up close. He becomes personal. We're not breathing at two different times. We're breathing in rhythm with each other. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that when you have a child, after they're done hijacking your heart, they hijack everything else? <laughs> they hijack time, space, and matter. They hijack your sleep schedule. They hijack your finances. And eventually, they'll hijack your television as you search for things for them to watch. Come on. Am I being real? I mean, if you go over to anybody's house that's got little kids, you're going to see little kids things playing on their television all the time. They hijack your television. Because you're searching for things that might entertain them. You're searching for things that might amuse them or maybe even educate them. And one of the children's programs that I stumbled upon when Tyler was very young was a program called The Sherry Lewis Show. Sherry Lewis was a ventriloquist. She was a puppeteer. She was the voice behind Wing Ding the Black Crow. Come on. She was the voice behind Hush Puppy. She was the voice behind Charlie Horse. Oh, but who could forget that she was the voice behind Lamb Chop? And every one of her shows ended the same way. Lamb Chop and Friends would sing that song at the end. And it was a song that parents developed a love-hate relationship with. It was called The Song That Never Ends. <laughs> Maybe you've forgotten the song. I'll sing it for you, okay? <laughs> this is the song that never ends. It goes on and on. My friend, some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that never ends. I'm sorry I had to do that to you. I'm going to probably get emails from you this week. It was a single verse song written in an infinite loop to a, almost to a cadence. It was to like a March style beat, repeating that single verse over and over again. And as I put myself in remembrance of my firstborn this week, and I put myself in remembrance of some of the activity that was going on, that song came to my mind and I couldn't help but ponder the truth that believers have been given the breath that never ends. Breaths 
from our Father, breaths from God, breaths from Daddy in an infinite loop, breaths that repeat themselves throughout eternity. You say, how is that possible? I'll tell you how that's possible. His breath, my breath. You see, God is eternal. And when Jesus breathed his life into us, he made us eternal. We are fragile humanity in a sense, our bodies, wrapped around eternal strength. And his breath, made me eternal. Now listen, I am not relying upon my natural breath to get me to heaven. My natural breath wouldn't get me through a marathon. I'm relying upon what Jesus did for me. I'm relying upon His breath in my heart, His breath in my lungs. I'm trusting in His breath. And I heard it said already this morning, we did nothing to deserve this breath. We did nothing. This breath came to us as a gift. It's called the gift of grace. It's called the gift of righteousness. It's called the gift of salvation. You see, that's how it was in the beginning with God and Adam. Adam did nothing to warrant God's breath. Adam did nothing to deserve God's breath. Adam did nothing to merit God's breath. Adam made no contribution. And I want you to think about that for a second. In this world that we're in, we're so used to contributing. You get a 401k, what do you do? You contribute, your employer contributes. So we get accustomed to thinking this way. But when it comes to salvation, I contributed nothing. I just said yes. Adam contributed nothing. He was like a sock puppet laying on his side with no hand in him. Until daddy came along and said, you know, son, I really don't want to put a hand up your back. How about if I just put my breath in your lungs? And that's exactly what he did. He put his breath in Adam's lungs. You might say it like this. Adam drew the breath right out of God. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we find these words. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Look at those words. The breath of life. God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Friends, let me tell you something. The breath of life is Jesus Christ. All throughout the scriptures, you'll find Jesus is referred to as the life. He himself said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm the light of life. He said, I'm eternal life. This is what Jesus has put on the inside of us. In all the places that Jesus talks about being the life, one of my favorite scriptures is John 14, 6. And Jesus said unto them, he said these words, he said, I am the way, the truth. Look at that. And the life. No man cometh to my father except through me. Did he say that? Is it in red? Jesus said those words. He didn't say, I'm a way. He said, I'm the way. I love to think about it that way. He didn't say, I'm one of many ways. He said, I'm the only way to my Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, listen, if a man is going to come to my Father, then first of all, I am going to have to give him eternal life through the breath into his heart, through the breath into his lungs, I'm going to breathe in him the breath of life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 again. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of ground and breathed into his nostrils Jesus. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now that's not a very long verse, but let's truncate this verse. Let's just reduce this verse down. You want to know what this verse reduces down to? It reduces down to his breath, my breath. That's exactly what God did in the garden. He said, you're just a lump of clay. You're like Charlie Horse with no hand up its back. You're like Wingding the Crow with no hand in him. We can't have that. I'm going to take my eternal breath and I'm going to put it inside of you, son. I'm going to breathe into your nostrils, my son, Jesus Christ, and you are going to become a living soul. 
Would you like to know why God gave Adam his breath? Would you like to know that? Well, let's ask Papa that question. Daddy, why would you do something like that? Why would you create a man out of a hunk of clay and then give him your breath? It's so simple because he was mine. <laughs> Just like my wife, because you're mine. Adam was his. Adam was his creation. And everything that God creates has life. But Adam had no life until the breath of life was breathed on the inside of him. And that's how it was with Jesus and us. We did nothing to warrant his breath. We did nothing to deserve his breath. I tell you what, that'll get rid of pride right there all by itself. If you walk around thinking you've done something to deserve this, friends, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to draw your attention back to this scripture here. We did nothing. Adam was laying on his side. Adam gave no contribution to the father. But the moment the father breathed in him, he stood up and he started worshiping the father because he had become a living soul. We received his breath because he loved us and because we are his. Jesus exhaled his breath in crucifixion and inhaled it again in resurrection. So it was with us. We exhaled our breath in crucifixion death so that we could inhale his breath in resurrection life. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that scripture. In that scripture, we find man's exhale and we find man's inhale. You say, where do you see that at? Well, look at those words right there. I am crucified with Christ. Now, if it said I am going to be crucified, it would speak of a future tense. If it says, I am being crucified, it would speak of a present tense. But the fact that it says, I am crucified with Christ, and we know that Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago, that speaks of a past tense. I am crucified with Christ. So when Christ exhaled from the cross, I exhaled too, because I was crucified at the same time. But I want you to know something. At death, it doesn't matter if you take a shallow breath just before you die or you take a deep breath before you die, I guarantee the breath you took in is the breath that's coming out. I guarantee it. That breath will make its way out. And the fact that it says, I am crucified with Christ means I breathed my last breath as a man. I was crucified with Christ. But I love this as I was meditating on this scripture yesterday. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me these words. He said, when you were crucified with Christ, you exhaled the old man. See, I got rid of more than just a breath. I exhaled, I expelled the old man. So then the scripture begins to make sense when we think about if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I expelled, I exhaled the old man. Now, the old man is gone. Where did I inhale Christ? It says, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. If Christ lives in me, then that means there had to be an invitation and there had to be consent. He will not just come and live in you without first knocking and then you opening. And so if Christ is living in me, I live in Christ that means I have inhaled his spirit and he lives in me forever. He has breathed into my spirit. And I love this because it says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now we are a finished work ministry at this church and we never want to throw Mr. Law under the bus. Mr. Law has a function today. His function is to bring people to Christ. But after he brings you to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. We don't need Mr. Law. Okay? He's a good guy. He's righteous. He's pure. He's holy. But if I try to live based upon Mr. Law, then what is the Holy Spirit for? I wrote about a year or so ago, this on my Facebook page, I said, 
We don't live by that which was chiseled. We live by that which was nailed. And that's Jesus Christ. I live by the faith in the Son of God. The Ten Commandments were not put in place to give me life or breath. The Bible called the Ten Commandments and the law the ministry of death. Not life. The ministry of death. The Ten Commandments and the law are in place to knock the wind out of an unbeliever so that the Holy Spirit can fill him, so he can breathe into him. And then it says that our faith is in the Son of God. I didn't get my faith anywhere else but him. The Bible says that God has measured to every man the measure of faith. So the faith that I live by is his faith. Now his faith becomes more of a reality as I exercise his faith. As I allow his faith to work through me, I get it. My faith begins to grow in the way I see things. But he has already deposited in, in me everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's deposited on the inside of me who loved me and gave himself for me. His breath became my breath. His exhale was my exhale. His inhale was my inhale. The Ten Commandments and all the 613 Jewish laws were without lungs. They had no capacity to bring life into us. Only Jesus, only the one that brought us grace and truth could deliver an eternal CPR on our obstructed hearts and anemic lungs. When Jesus breathed into us, His breath became our breath. His breath in an infinite loop. And his breath repeats itself over and over again. Now let me ask you a question. Who was it that received Jesus' last breath on the cross? Who was it? Well, it was the Father. The Father is the one who received his breath. Do you think the Father is going to waste his son's breath? There is no way. I mean, even when they fed the multitude, 5,000, there were still fish, little pieces of fish and broken bread. And Jesus said, gather the fragments, let nothing be wasted. The father's not going to waste his son's breath. The father took his son's breath. We see this in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. Jesus called out in a loud voice. Here he is on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last, or another way to say it, he exhaled his last breath. Whose hands did the Holy Spirit go into? He said, my breath went into my Father's hands. He said, into your hands, I commit, I place my spirit. His breath went there. But not only his breath, but my breath. And your breath. How do I know that? Galatians 2.20. We're crucified with Christ. The moment he died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last breath. Well, I was crucified with Christ. So my breath went in my Father's hands too. For three days and nights, Jesus lay in a tomb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, lay breathless and without life. How did Jesus get his breath back? Well, it goes back to the question, who did Jesus commit his breath to? He committed it to his Father. And the same breath that the Father breathed into the first Adam when he was laying on his side is the same breath that the Father breathed into his Son as he lay on his side in a tomb. It's the same breath. The Father has one breath. And his breath brings life. And his breath brought me life. I have life on the inside of me. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel happy on the inside to know that daddy's life's on the inside of me and nothing can take that life from me. Oh, I love what Billy Graham said before he died. He said, one day you're going to read about me and they're going to tell you that he's dead. He said, don't you believe him for a second? I'm not dead. I'm alive. We go from life to life. We never die in Christ. We've already died once. We've died. We've been crucified with Christ. This is an envelope. 
Friends, let me tell you something. You throw away the envelope usually after you open up the letter, okay? We are the living letter. The Bible says, read of all men. Who cares about the envelope? It's the letter that's important. I mean, it'd be just foolish. Wouldn't you get a letter from somebody and you open up and shred the letter and then they got the envelope to look at and that's it? Without even reading it? That's foolish, isn't it? We're the letter. And as Jesus lay there on his back, his side, whatever it was, it took the Father's breath. It wasn't his own doing. Jesus didn't breathe life into himself. The Father breathed life into his Son. He did. Therefore, Jesus could rise from the grave. Jesus could come out of the grave and he could declare his breath, my breath, my daddy's breath, my breath. Oh, that would just get me excited to know that I've been in a tomb for three days and all of a sudden I've come out and just to know that my daddy breathed life into me, I would think, man, daddy, there's nothing you can't do. That's a hard one, friends. Listen, magicians can do a whole lot of things, but I've yet to see one go down to a funeral home and say, let me show you what I can do with this body. It takes the Spirit of God to do that kind of stuff. That's because he's an eternal God. He's a living God. That's why Jesus said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. I am life. I'm the bread of life. You eat me. You're going to live forever. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believeth on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus Christ was crucified and glorified, we in crucifixion exhaled that sinful man. And in resurrection, power and life, we inhaled Christ. And that Spirit came and lived on the inside of us. Guess what? You can't make him leave. Oh, you think he's easily offended? Listen, friends, if God was easily offended, he'd be falling apart. He sees everything going on in the whole world. He sees our thought lives. He sees everything we've done. But the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Why? Because they were placed on his son, Jesus Christ. And through that exhale, just before that exhale, just seconds before he exhaled that final breath, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. Maybe I might be a little carried away in saying it so loud. It sounded probably more like a whisper coming up out of his heart. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Daddy, I know the ones that you've chosen for me and the ones that will come to me ultimately and daddy when they come remember my words from the cross father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing i didn't know what i was doing when i was a sinner i think i thought i did i didn't know what i was doing jesus declared when he came out of that grave his breath my breath same same in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, we find these words. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. See, God is the one who brought Jesus out of the grave. He didn't bring Jesus out of the grave, a dead man. He brought Jesus out of the grave, a living man. So who gave him breath? Well, of course the Father gave him breath. It doesn't get into every single detail in the Bible, but yes, the Father gave him breath when he said, rise, my son. Arise, my beloved. Come away with me. <laughs> the breath that the Father breathed into Jesus is in an infinite loop, a breath without end and a covenant without expiration. I love that. I'm telling you, you've got a covenant right now that doesn't have an expiration date on it. You've been put in Christ. You're put into the new covenant, the new covenant of God. There is no expiration.
I hate things when they go bad because I always go, man, I spent my hard-earned money for that and now you just got to throw it away. I, things that tear up. I'm so thankful that there are no expiration. Nothing goes sour. Nothing goes bad in Christ. And you say, well, now, Mark, come on now. You haven't seen some of the people that have walked away. Their story is not done. It's not over for them. No expiration. The breath that Adam exhaled in the garden is the same breath Jesus gave back to us at the cross because see, Adam was full of the Spirit. And God told him, he said, listen, Adam, the day you eat of that tree, do you see it? Do you smell it? Can you feel it? He said, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. What was he saying? He said, the breath is going to get knocked right out of you, son. And it would take the last Adam to come and walk through a garden called Gethsemane in remembrance of the Garden of Eden and hang on a cross. And I love it. I've said it before, but when he was hanging between two thieves, he looked at the one and he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That word paradise in the Greek means is literally Eden. He was pointing that criminal all the way back to the original garden, the original Adam. And he was saying, son, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Except today you're not going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're going to eat from the tree of life. And you are going to live forever. Makes me happy. You're going to live forever, son. The difference, unlike Adam, we receive our breath without condition. Without conditions. Without stipulations attached to it. Adam had a condition. When God planted the garden and God put Adam in the garden, God gave him a condition. He said, son, listen, everything is yours. Name the animals, do everything you want. Here's a girl for you, by the way. Uh, you know, he did everything for him. But he gave him one condition. He said, Adam, that tree right there is off limits. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. Now, you and I, I know we're smarter than God. We say, well, why? I just wouldn't have put the tree there. To say that says, you know something God doesn't know. God had to put the tree there. Otherwise, Adam would have just been a sock puppet. That's it. Doing everything God told him to do. Just no way to get in trouble. This is the power of free will and choice. I love the fact that my wife loves me because she wants to love me, not because she has to love me. So Adam had a condition. If you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Now, we don't have a condition in our covenant. You know why? Because the covenant isn't between God and us. The covenant's between God and His Son. Who was cut on the cross? See, when you have a covenant, there's blood. Who was cut on the cross? Who hung on the cross? Who hung between God and man? The mediator, the Bible calls Him. One man, Jesus Christ. The mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. And when He hung there, God cut covenant with His Son. And He said, listen, Son, you will always be faithful to me. And because you are faithful to me, I will be faithful to them. That's a covenant Jesus will never break. So when we go off and we do our little thing, man, we run away like a prodigal son, maybe for five or ten years, whatever it may be. Maybe it's not that extreme. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will go with you. And he'll be convincing you all along that journey. This really isn't daddy's best. Don't you remember the night that he first gave his heart to you? Don't you remember the night he first breathed life into you? That's my daddy's best. That's daddy's best. So that's the beauty of it all. That's how we end up with a covenant that we cannot break. What's my point? My point is we should have confidence in our walk with Christ. We should have confidence that nothing can come along and knock the breath out of us. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. We receive an eternal breath, His breath, my breath. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22, we find these words. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, here's these words, peace be with you. After He said this, He showed them His hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Look at these next words. And with that, he breathed on them and said, 
receive the Holy Spirit. Receive my Father's breath. His breath. My breath. Amen. Two of my favorite things to do when I study or just read the Bible is number one, to discover Jesus in the shadows of the Old Testament. I love that. Do you know you can find him in every single book? He's there. You just got to enlarge your heart. You just got to say, Holy Spirit, reveal him to me. He is there, friend. And the other thing I love to do is I love to find new covenant principles threaded in an old covenant book because you can find them as well. Now, what did I just say there? That sounded complicated. What I'm saying is this. Jesus was the shadow in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, he became the substance. He's no longer shadow, he is the substance. And so as we look back, it will make it a little more complicated to find him without the lenses of grace. Because Jesus is the epitome of grace. He is grace and truth personified. And so as we look back through the Old Covenant, look back through the Old Testament, we do find Him. In fact, and I've preached this before, the very first three words of the Bible, actually the very first four words of the Bible in Hebrew are barashit, bara, Elohim, et. What does that mean? Barashit means beginning. Bara, created. Elohim, God. And then right after that is et, which is the aleph and the tab, which are the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Hidden right within the text of the Jewish code there is those two words, aleph, tab. The symbol for aleph is the father. It is the most robust of all letters. It is the very first letter. Everything begins with God. There's aleph right there. And tab is the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the word picture for tab is a cross. In the beginning, God. Friends, I want to tell you something. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross had been determined before God breathed breath into Adam. He knew what his creation would cost him. It was an amazing price to know in advance. There are times we walk through life and someone says, man, I've got bad news for you. Or actually, they come to you and they'll say, I got good news and I got bad news for you. You're like, can't you just give me the good news? I'm not up for bad news. I've got terrible news for you. Well, keep it to yourself. I don't want to hear it. But God knew in advance. He knew in advance what it would cost him. Pastor Steve, I heard you say it a little while ago. You said, man, my life, I'd give you. But my children's lives, there ain't no way I'd give that to you. I told a man one time, and he was a pretty big guy. I said, man, I said, um, if you put all the people from Chicago in one group, and I said, you just selected any one of my three sons, any one of my kids, and you put them in that other group, and I had to make a decision between which one of those groups of people die, my son or that group that's millions of people wide, I would get on a megaphone and I would say to them, folks, you better get your hearts right because you're all going to meet God in just a few seconds. I, there is no way you would get my son. And so to think that the father would give his son, yes, he knew he'd be able to resurrect him, but that's beside the point. Listen, I wouldn't let my son die if I could help it, even if I knew I could raise him up three days later. No, that's heartache, friends. I've been there. I've done that. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Like I said, I like to find Jesus in the shadows of the Old Testament, and I love to find new covenant principles threaded throughout the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. Jesus was always there. The New Covenant was always God's plan. It was always God's plan. Did you know that you can walk around my house, and I've lived there for 18 or 19 years, you can walk around my house and you can look up high and low and you can search as much as you want, but I guarantee you will not find my name written on my house. But just because you can't find my name on my house doesn't mean I don't live there. 
And just because we can't find the name Jesus in the Old Testament doesn't mean he didn't live there. He was there from the beginning of time. Who do you think God was talking to in Genesis 1.26 when he said, let us make man in our image and likeness? It was God. It was the Father. It was the Son. It was the Holy Spirit. Let us make man. He was the breath of life that was breathed into Adam. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. I want to read this. I want to make some comment on it, and I'll be done. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. Now again, we are in the Old Testament. We are in the Old Covenant at this point in time. But I want you to hear the heart of God. And I want you to see if you can find Jesus in His finished work. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Bones that were very dry. You know, a bone in the Hebrew, it just says it's a limb. Friends, I want to tell you something. Nothing catches fire quicker than dry bones. Nothing catches fire quicker than dry bones. And God is a consuming fire in His breath. It's not just breath for our lungs, but it's a consuming fire. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then He said to me, I love this, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now, that's a lot of reading, but there's a powerful, powerful parallel and communication in here. In verses 1 and 2, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And this is about what Ezekiel was seeing. I don't know if God actually transported him there, or if this is something Ezekiel saw in a vision, but it was just as real either way. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. If Ezekiel's narrative ended after verse 2, this would be nothing short of a scene from an Alfred Hitchcock horror movie. But it doesn't end there. Ezekiel is walking through a valley. A valley full of skeletons. A valley full of death. Bones that belong to people that experienced a hurtful ending, but had no glorious beginning. Lifeless bones without breath, a sock puppet on the valley floor. 
bones that had been hijacked by the enemy of idols and religion. That's all it was. There are a great many people, both believers and unbelievers, that have lived their lives on the floor. I was one of them. I'm talking about the floor of guilt and shame. I'm talking about the floor of regret and worry. I'm talking about the floor of fear and condemnation. I'm talking about the tear-soaked floor where promises are, are made that I'll never do that again. I'm talking about the tear-soaked carpet where we say, Father, I'll try harder. Only to find out that the dry knees we knelt with are the same dry knees we get up with. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. And for years, that was me. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. When I discovered the wonderful truth, His breath, my breath, that nonsense stopped. When the revelation hit me that Papa God was pleased with me because I am His, that ceased. I quit running penance marathons. When I discovered that I was caught in His infinite loop of grace and truth, I was able then to exhale all the practices of the old man and I literally took a fresh breath as I inhaled the fragrance of Christ's love and Christ's grace and Christ's mercy and His eternal forgiveness. As I inhaled that truth, I thought, Daddy, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just so free. You are setting me free. Verses 3 through 6. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So, Daddy's breath working with Ezekiel's breath. You see, that's what we do at Triumphant Grace Ministries. We're just taking Daddy's breath. The only thing we've got in us is Papa's breath. And it comes out and it speaks to dry bones. And it's not just the unbelievers that have dry bones. It's some of the believers that have dry bones. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. Look at these words. He says, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. The Father says, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. He's in the life-giving business. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. Look at what he says again. He's repeating himself. He says, I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know I am the Lord. Verses 7 and 8. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. Look at these words. But there was no breath in them. He has taken us back to Adam's original state. Everything in the natural is complete, but there is no breath. It's going to take an eternal God with an eternal breath to make that man live again. And that's exactly what he does. This time he doesn't get down on his knees. I know the Ancient of Days got down on his knees the first time and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This time he's telling Ezekiel, he said, I want you to prophesy. Son, I'm going to teach you something here. The breath that's in me is in you. I heard my wife saying it earlier this morning that we should anticipate the presence and the power and the miracles and the things of God. Why? Because his breath my breath, his power, my power. And he says there, he says, everything's together, bone to bone, tendon, skin, all that came together. The right head rolled over to the right bones, man. Everything is just perfect, except there's no breath in them. Let me tell you something. When I came to the message of grace about nine years ago, everything began to come together but not without some resistance. My soul man made some noise. 
My soul man had a little bit of a rattling sound in him as he struggled to let go of all of his religious programming. You don't believe me? You just come to the message of grace one time. You come to the message of unconditional love. I'll tell you what, your soul man will start talking to you. Oh, he'll make a rattling noise. He'll make sounds like you never heard before. And my soul did the same thing. I'm like, what is this? Not wanting to change. Wanting to lay like those bones on the floor, soaking the carpet all the time, not realizing daddy had a better plan. He could put his breath in me and I could become a living soul prophesying. Not just to people, prophesying to myself. I prophesy to myself more than I prophesy to people. You can't even begin to know how many times I look in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Isn't that right, Papa? In fact, you go to the mirror and you actually say, Mark is the righteousness of God in Christ, don't you? Yeah, amen. I take it, brother. I will. I had a lot of religious programming, but eventually my soul began to see there was no breath in trying to live life on the floor of the valley. Friends, let me tell you something. Religion can have a lot of activity and religion can make a lot of noise and still not have any breath in it. I appreciate my brothers and sisters that stand in pulpits all over the world preaching the Lord. And I want to tell you something. God honors His Word. And whether you are way off in what you're saying or you're dead on, I'm still telling you, God can move in the midst of people. He really can. So I never want to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm telling you this, there are a lot of people that walk into churches bound, and they walk out just as bound, even though they had lively worship, even though they had a man up there running like a crazy man shouting at the top of his lungs, they still walk out bound. The only thing that would remove grave clothes is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing, the revelation of his unconditional love, the revelation of his extravagant grace, the revelation of his promises are all yes and amen. That is what takes grave clothes off of people. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath, from the four winds, look at those, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Verse 10 and 11. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life. Friends, listen, we're living in a day and age. You better quit being surprised when God shows up and starts doing stuff. <laughs> when you start prophesying and something happens, don't go, what in the world? I used to do that. I'm going to rejoice. Yes, every time I see the Father do something miraculous, absolutely. But I'm going to be like Valerie. I'm going to start thanking him in advance. That's the way I've been for a lot of years, thanking him in advance. And then encounters come as you go. And then you just thank him again. That's all Jesus did. The greatest miracle recorded in the Bible other than the resurrection is the feeding of the 5,000. Every gospel recorded it. And all Jesus did for that miracle is he just lifted two sardines and five little loaves of bread up to heaven. And all he did is say, thank you, Papa. That's all he did. That's all he did. He just said, thank you. And the Bible says he broke bread and he began to distribute it. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus, I mean, surely if there was a time he'd go into a long prayer, it'd be right there. You have 5,000 men plus women and children. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Even if you've got the food, that's a lot of mouths to feed. But with two fish and five loaves, that's impossible. But yet there were fragments left over. And Jesus said, gather up the fragments. Let nothing be wasted. And so it is with his breath. He said, there is nothing wasted when my breath comes on the inside of you. Verses 10 and 11. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones, look what he says, are the people of Israel. And here's what they said. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Now what did they just get through saying? We are miserable people. Friends, I want to tell you something. I haven't lived a day in misery in so many years. I wouldn't even know where that date's at. I couldn't find it if my life depended on it. I have not lived a day in misery. I'm living life and seeing good days. Why? Because I have the revelation. I have nothing to prove to Papa. 
I was on my back. I was on my side. I was without breath. And he breathed Jesus into me, and I became a living soul. If he'll do that for me, he'll do anything for me. He really will. So here's these people. They're just without hope. They are destitute people. They feel like they're cut off. And that's, I'll tell you what, where a big part of the body of Christ lives. They feel like somehow they've disconnected from God. They feel like they've gotten away from him so far that surely he couldn't love me. I'm telling you what, he loves you. He loves you with all of his heart and you cannot divorce him and he won't divorce you. That covenant is between the father and the son and he put you inside the son and he said, behold, all things have become new. Amen. Verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Now, I want you to see verse 14, the very last verse. Look what he says. I will put my spirit in you and you will live present continuous state kind of like the song that never ends <laughs> you will live in other words you will never die he said you will live and i will settle in your own land land is just another way to say heart i'm gonna settle in your heart son i'm gonna settle everything once and for all and then i'm gonna come and i'm gonna settle this in your heart i'm gonna settle in your own land then you will know that i the lord have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Amen. Now, I said earlier that we are a spirit-filled, finished work ministry. And I want you to see the next scripture here. He said, I will put my spirit in you. Well, if the spirit lives in you, then you are spirit-filled. I want to draw your attention to who did the work. I have done it. And what God does, he does right. And he does once for all. It is a finished work with him. God filled us with his spirit through a breath that he put on the inside of us. And then he said, son, I have finished the work. Now, son, every time you open your mouth and you prophesy the word of the Lord, son, you're going to see power show up. You're going to see people get saved. You're going to see people get healed. You're going to see people get delivered. You're going to see people get free of grave clothes. Every time you open your mouth and you speak words of life, you speak my son, Christ, don't add anything to him. It's Christ alone, or it's not Christ at all. It's Christ alone. Amen. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Jesus breathed on us, and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. We are no longer full of dead men's bones. We are full of grace and truth. The revelation that we are full of grace and truth turns our hurtful endings into glorious beginnings. When we ask our Papa God the question, Daddy, why do you love me so much? His answer is always the same. Because you're mine. And because you have hijacked my heart. We are secure in his infinite breath of love. It's a breath that never ends. It goes on and on, my friend. Jesus exhaled his breath in crucifixion and the Father gave it back to him in resurrection life and power so it was with us we were crucified with christ we exhaled the old man in crucifixion death so that we could inhale our first breath as a new creation in christ and live in resurrection life in christ listen to me there are only glorious beginnings there are no hurtful endings i want to say that one more time in christ there are only glorious beginnings there are no hurtful endings you say, Pastor Mark, what do you say to the person who's struggling? Let's just be real. What do you say to the person that lives life on the floor? What do you say to the person who says, my bones are dried up. My hope is gone. I'm cut off. I'll tell you what I say to that person. And the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the ground 
and he breathed into his nostrils Jesus. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. This is not, friends, an oscillating truth. Here one day and gone the next. No, this is not a truth that wavers, chops, and changes, and it's not one that fluctuates. This is the resurrection breath from Daddy, the breath that holds us in the eternal loop of salvation. Friends, we have been spirit-filled and we have been finished worked for a very good reason. It's because His breath, my breath, in Jesus' name, amen. Daddy, I want to just praise you and thank you for your, your amazing heart. I want to thank you, Father, that the nonsense has settled down in my heart. And our message across the world is to preach a gospel that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So I want to thank you, Father, as I draw my attention all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We find a man named Adam, a man that was laying on his back. He was laying on his side, but he was without breath. We fast forward, we find the valley of dry bones, men laying on their sides, their bones all apart, but without breath. What brought life to Adam? What brought life to the valley of dry bones? What brought life to Christ in the tomb? What brought life to me when I said yes? Well, the answer is the same. Your breath inside of me. Daddy, I want to thank you that the old man has been exhaled. That means I am perfect in my spirit. That doesn't mean every thought I think and every action I perform is always perfect. But I want to thank you, Daddy, as the revelation of your great grace, as the revelation of your unconditional love, as the revelation of a covenant without an expiration really just wells up in my heart. I want to thank you, Daddy, that this displaces these old ideologies. It displaces these old dark ways of thinking so that I can say, Father, I am yours and you are mine. And together we get to walk this journey breathing in the same breath so that there might be harmony in everything we say and do. And thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.